0: All right, guys, we're going to get the show started here momentarily. But first, in a world of uncertainty, one thing's for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support, and clinical trial navigation step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1762 steps inside or outside on stairs on the road or on your treadmill climb your way Join us for our opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash climb You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, it's a Sports Fix Tuesday after a long holiday weekend. I don't know if it felt like a holiday weekend to anybody out there, but Tommy by phone, me in studio, Aaron somewhere out there uh, will take care of all of the post-show mess that Tommy and I typically create. Um, Happy Tuesday to you. I hear birds chirping. Where are you right now? Well, it's such a beautiful
1: day. Uh, I mean, it's already about 70 degrees and sunny. And uh, I decided to do the show sitting on my outdoor patio uh, out here. Uh, Memorial Day. Uh, was it different for you? Did it seem different for you?
0: Um. Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about a story from yesterday here uh, in a moment. Um, did it feel differently? Well, we weren't away, but we aren't always away. In fact, in recent years, we've been home um, primarily. I played golf all weekend long. I played golf yesterday. Um, And I had the day off. And so because I've been working, and I've mentioned this before, and I feel fortunate to be working, I understand that many of you aren't or are working differently. Um, It was nice to not have to get up at 4 a.m., but I will tell you that I got up at 5 a.m., and I'll explain why here momentarily. But I can understand why it may not have felt like you know a, a holiday to a lot of people who have been on holiday for two and a half months. Not holiday is in vacation, but you know, have been out of work or, or working differently and have been home anyway.
1: You know, it didn't feel different for me, Memorial. It was just basically the same day uh that I've been uh living since the middle of March. And I'm still okay with that. I'm fine with that. You know, uh I uh, I mean, I do the little writing, I do some walking, I uh, watch some TV, uh, I'm okay. I mean, what is it? It's been it's at least two months since I, I've been in lockdown, and uh, I'm not going crazy, you know, at least. I don't know what I'll be like two months from now, if, if it still lasts, but I wanted to share my Memorial Day story with you. Okay. From when I was a little kid.
0: By the way, before okay. you get started, you know... Not that you are at the age technically of, I don't even know what technically means anymore. I don't even know what the age of retirement is. But you are sort of partially retired in many ways and living the life as someone who's partially retired.
1: Well, I guess, you, look, I'm still writing for the paper, but I'm writing once a week instead of three times a week. right. Uh... You're
0: doing this dumb podcast twice a week. (laughs) I'm doing the
1: podcast twice a week. I am making an appearance with Sad Dukes. on 106.7 a fan, but it's only a segment as opposed to a couple of hours. Right. So I am in reduced workload. Uh, but if it all came back tomorrow, uh, I'd probably be right back at it.
0: Sure. And it might.
1: with, with, With all of it, yeah. So, uh... So Memorial Day was no different for me, but it always reminds me of uh when I was a little kid, I guess pretty young, and uh my parents went out to the cemetery on Memorial Day uh to visit uh their you know, their their fathers, their relatives, things like that. And I'm a pretty little kid and and I sort of like went off on my own. Uh and while they were, you know, at the grave sites of their family members. And I noticed uh, on all the graves, there were all these little American flags, like, on the graves. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I said, so I started walking by the graves and picking the American flags. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Off, off the graves. And I, I ran over to my parents after about 15 minutes. Put a fistful of flags and say, "Mom, Dad, look what I found." <laughs> they were so mortified.
0: Oh boy! They,
1: I mean, imagine the embarrassment level. I mean, that, that they had to yeah, well, put part there. Part of probably, the problem. Part of
0: the problem was you were 15 at the time. I mean, you should have known yeah, better.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the best I could do with Memorial Day. We usually don't do anything uh, on Memorial Day. We're, July 4th. There's a big family picnic up in the Poconos, Labor Day is usually right around my wife's birthday, but Memorial Day is not that big of a holiday for me uh, at, at all, usually. I mean, I, I recognize the significance of it, uh, you know, we re- remember the, the people who have lost their lives in defense of this country, uh, and I, I mean, I, I recognize that, but uh, as far as an event, a kickoff for the summer, it usually doesn't feel that way to me.
0: It's always felt like the kickoff to summer for me. I mean, it's always felt that way. But we've we've done so many different things. It definitely always ends in a meal, you know, a barbecue meal. But we've been barbecuing out for the for basically five nights a week uh, during the last two and a half months. Anyway, I wanted to tell you about my morning yesterday because. Even though I didn't do a radio show yesterday and didn't do a podcast yesterday, it started very early, and it started early because my son, my oldest son, um, had a flight out to LA. Um, You know, I told you that... His girlfriend was here. She was here for a month and a half. You know, she lives in LA and she got here basically a day before the whole shutdown started. Um, and she stayed for a month and a half and it was great to have her and he's heading out there. He's working from home. He can work from out there. Their office is not reopened. he's still working virtually. Um, and so he's going to head out there for a while. And so I got up yesterday to take him to the airport. He had a he had a 7 a.m. flight, I think it was. And so I was up at 5, 5.15. We left oh, okay. at 5.30. And, um, but two things. One, the airport was empty. Now, I know it's a holiday, and it's early in the morning. Um, but when I tell you that I pulled into Reagan National Airport, and as I was driving in, there wasn't another car. There wasn't another car passing me heading out or going in. And I pulled up to the American Departures Terminal. And there, when we pulled up to that, there was one other car in front of us by about, I don't know, 30 yards. And it was pulling away. It, it, it had just dropped somebody off. And I could see that person walking in, you know, the set of doors that was one set up, uh, one set of doors up. And there was my son. That was it. Now, I have read, I read, you know, during the first month that most flights were basically empty. But I, I thought in recent weeks there was increase in terms of air travel, if not for personal travel, um, business travel. Anyway, um, that's really not what I wanted to get to. That's just, um, that's just, that was just the the experience at the airport. He did tell me that there were roughly 40 to 50 people he felt on his flight by the time he got on his flight. But anyway. As I was driving back, Tommy, you know the way I get to—I live in Bethesda, so the way I get to to Reagan National is I, you know, go down Canal Road, I cross Key Bridge, I drive by the Arlington Cemetery, um, and you know, and I and I go right into National, and it's you know, it's a pretty drive the whole thing. On the way back, I'm like, God, it's Memorial Day. Eh, That's Arlington Cemetery. I'll pull in. What the hell? I haven't been there in years. In years. Actually, when I was driving back, I didn't pull into Arlington Cemetery. I thought I was, but I was actually pulling into the Marine Corps War Memorial, which is right next to Arlington Cemetery. There were a couple of people there. Um, It was early. It was 6 a.m. basically. I parked the car. I got out and the Iwo Jima statue is right there in front of me. I haven't seen that in years. I haven't gone into Arlington Cemetery in years. I haven't seen the Iwo Jima statue um, in years. And I walked over to it, and I walked around it, and then I just started reading everything about the Marine Corps. It, it sent me on um, you know, about an hour to two hours of just reading about the history of the Marine Corps, which my, my father-in-law is an ex-Marine. My brother-in-law was a Marine. Um, And one of my favorite all-time subjects and one of my favorite all-time documentaries is The Pacific, you know, from World War II, which was the Hank Spielberg follow-up to Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers, you watched both of those, didn't you, or not? I forget.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Band of Brothers was the European theater, and The Pacific was obviously the, the Pacific theater of World War II, which was the part of world war ii that was fought primarily by u.s marines in terms of the allied fight against the japanese and all of these you know all of those horrible you know uh islands of the pacific guadalcanal and Peleliu and and iwo jima and okinawa all those places were just you know the marshall islands all those different things midway um All of those battles of of the Pacific between, you know, 41 and 45, which, you know, were really, really difficult because the Japanese and the terrain and the weather and the disease and all of that made it just much different than the European theater. Um, You know, I remember one of the scenes from the Pacific um, is one of uh, one of the Marines coming back home to their home in New Jersey uh and they are are getting dropped off by a taxi cab driver at his home in jersey and the ca- cab driver says you don't have to pay anything he said we had it rough in 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 uh, france but nothing like what you marines had in the pacific And you know, and that is, I think, the general impression of World War II from the U.S. standpoint is just how difficult the Japanese were, the 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 weather, the terrain, the disease, all that went into what was just hell on earth. But anyway, that was my first portion of the day yesterday, and then I played golf (laughs) after that. Anyway, and so the the only thing I thought of yesterday was potentially, instead of playing golf, but I was already committed to it, was going back and watching that wonderful series. In the last two episodes in particular, the the ninth episode out of the ten is one of the most incredibly moving episodes of any miniseries that I've ever, ever watched, and it was... Episodes nine and ten, when the war ends, and then when um, Robert Lecky, in particular, who was one of the two main characters of the of the documentary, when he returns home and he's with his family who haven't been where he's been, and some of those conversations about TV being invented and you know union strikes and people are all wrapped up into different things, and this guy just came back from hell on earth. I lo- I love band of brothers. I loved the Pacific more, you know, who was in that Pacific. And I think it may have been his first role was Rami Malek. You know, the guy that played, uh, Freddie Mercury in the, in the queen movie a year and a half ago, he was, um, snafu who was one of the, the, the Marine soldiers who becomes close with, um, uh, uh, sledge was his last name. You know, one of the other two main characters. Anyway, I don't know. We get that. That was my day yesterday. That was my day yesterday.
1: Well, you had—I mean, you had—you uh, had a real Memorial Day. At least half of it.
0: Uh, well, I mean, a- yeah, yeah, two two and a half hours of it. Yes, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if it—but it it, it was not wasn't planned. It would have been more impressive if I had said, "This is what I'm going to do on this Memorial Day" as a way to pay tribute. It was totally sort of coincidental because I passed it on my way back from the airport, and it was 6 in the morning, and I had nothing else to do. And also thought that there would be nobody there. But, um, yeah, I mean, God, man, you know.
1: You know, one of the writers and producers of the Pacific is the guy from D.C., George Pelicanos.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, who was uh, worked on The Wire and uh, The Deuce with David Simon. He, he does a lot of work with Simon uh yeah he was one of the main guys on the pacific one of the main writers
0: did you did you do you agree with me that the pacific was better than band of brothers or not
1: yeah i i do
0: i think i think that is a uh contrarian opinion i think band of brothers first of all did better in terms of ratings etc and in you know post sales and i think it's generally viewed you know it was the first um, as as the better of the two. I enjoyed the latter, which came out, I don't know how many... It probably came out 10 years after Band of Brothers, at least. Maybe more than that. Um, because b- the Pacific is not more than a decade old. I would say that it came out 7, 8 years ago, something like that.
1: I think a little bit longer.
0: You do? Band of yeah. Brothers was... I want to. I mean, that was like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah,
1: that 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 was pretty <clears throat> far back.
0: And that was excellent too. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I didn't have such a Memorial Day weekend. Very uneventful. <laughs> uh, just taking care of my son's dog. We're baby. We're dog sitting.
0: You're dog uh, sitting. For a
1: week. Yes. Really. Yeah. And I'm a I'm a dog guy. I like dogs. Uh, we had dogs most of our lives uh but
0: uh what kind of know, dogs wife, did you have
1: uh we had when i was a little kid we had a russian wolfhound uh and then uh i had a black lab for a while black lab his name was outrageous
0: was uh, this was you this was married you with a black lab with kids no,
1: before before uh married okay and then uh when we when we first married when we moved to Maryland, uh, I got a Jack Russell Terrier, whose name was Astro. He was a great dog.
0: <laughs> Astro. I had him
1: for se- <laughs> 17 years. He was a terrific dog. Yeah. Perfect with, you know, when we had kids and stuff. Then we got a beagle to replace him, a dog from hell named Toby.
0: Oh, really? Who,
1: oh, my God, this dog was terrible. And, you know, I blame the weasels at, at the animal shelter. Because they, you know, we brought our kids. a big mistake was bringing our kids there. Uh, and he looked so cute. And, you know, they they, they they gave us the hard sell, like they were selling us a car. And it turned out he had been brought back by three other houses. Mm. No, it's like, as unmanageable. So we took him home. And once you got him home with the kids, you know, you're done. You can't say, oh, I'm sorry. We're taking him back. Right. But uh, he was a miserable dog. And the best thing that happened to us was when I think a beagle won the Westminster uh, Kennel Club (laughs) show one year. Yeah. Then everybody wanted beagles. So we were able to foist him on a a no-kill shelter who uh, then turned around and and gave him to some family. And he's probably probably been passed around about six times since then. Uh, But uh, my son – my son—he doesn't do anything simple. He lives in Baltimore, maybe two blocks from the animal shelter. Mm-hmm. When he wanted a dog, he got one from Kuwait.
0: <laughs> why? You know why? Well,
1: because he wanted because he wanted to do something different, and there are rescue groups that rescue dogs from the Middle East, and he spent a fortune getting this dog shipped over here uh, from Kuwait. And I'm telling you, the dog has PTSD. He really does. The dog, he, he doesn't, re- sometimes he stands there and just stands for like 10 minutes like he's thinking, who am I and what am I doing here? He doesn't respond like other dogs. He's easy to take care of. <laughs> he will. Remarkably easy. Maybe to take he care
0: recognizes of. something about the caretaker right now. Maybe he realizes that the caretaker's limited and he's got to behave a little bit more. No, um, if, I
1: was as, if I was as limited as this dog, I couldn't have this conversation with you. Okay? And the dog's name, by the way, is Kojak. I named him.
0: <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, that just reminds me. What did I tweet, the uh, retweet of yours this weekend? I forget. Something. Oh,
1: and I somebody, uh, somebody from 106.7... They were going to talk about Game of Thrones. And I asked. uh,
0: Oh, right, right. uh, (coughs) Oh, that was somebody from 106. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they were going to wear costumes.
0: Right, uh, right. And then yeah. I said, you know, the pro- I said you're stubborn. You know, just, uh, called you Kojak or something, and said, turn Kojak off and give it a shot. I, 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 this is a blind spot for you. I can't help you with that. At least I'm willing to watch the wire, and I want to watch the wire, and I intend on watching. But you the
1: haven't wire. watched the
0: wire. I, I know, but it's different from your situation. You say you will never watch Game of Thrones, and you try to pass it off in the in the same way Van Pelt does, which is some sort of you know dress-up costume, you know. Th- fantasy uh, show which it isn't. Well, um, one is based
1: <clears throat> one is based on reality. Yeah. And the other is based on a dungeon and dragons episode. It
0: isn't a dungeon and dragons episode, that's the thing. It's all about the characters. I'm not going to do this again. With you I am um, I love dogs. I'm definitely a dog person, not a cat person. But I didn't always love dogs. We had a dog, you know, multiple times growing up. Um but I wasn't the guy that became uh single was single out on my own that the first thing I thought of was to have a dog although one of my roommates had a crazy dog um totally ripped up our to- uh, our townhouse um one year and he had to give the dog to somebody else I I forget it, it was it was costing us a fortune <clears throat> but um I didn't want a dog when we were married or the kids were super young, because I just thought it was going to be like having another kid. And their very first dog we got, which was a Cocker Spaniel, Sailor was his name, and he was such a great dog. But I was against it. And my, my wife went out and got the dog anyway. <laughs> I said, you know, we, she had been talking about a dog, and the kids were really young, and and they they were all under the age of six, five at that point, Five or six. And, um... I was like, we we need to give it a, a couple more years. And I came home one day and the dog was there. And I was very angry, but it turned out to be a great dog. And Sailor was a great dog. And then we've had for a while this little dog, uh, this King Cavalier uh, half Bichon dog. I, she's crazy. I'm not a big fan of hers, nor are any of the boys. But I told you that eight months ago we got... Uh, an English bulldog puppy, and she is the best. She is spectacular. She's my favorite living thing in my house right now. <laughs> Easily. Ah! Easily. Right now. It goes both ways. I think that everybody's just as sick as uh, of me as I am probably of them, and um, they're also leaning on the dog. Uh, she's She's a lot of fun. She's been great
1: how many what kind of different pets have you had uh with your kids growing up? oh
0: man, well, we've had the dogs uh so this is dog number three. we have had fish, we have had turtles we have had um you know not a not a lot you know I'm sure there was a hamster along the way there somewhere. Um, I don't think there was a rabbit. I definitely remember the turtles and we had this huge turtle cage thing, aquarium like uh thing. Um, and turtles by the way are spreaders of viruses and disease. I didn't want the turtles. Um that's I, th- I think we had I think we've had a bird or two. That's probably it. I may be missing something
1: we've had giant reptiles tarantulas
0: why a tarantula
1: i have no idea why my my one of my sons wanted a tarantula mm-hmm. we didn't know he had it for a while uh
0: did he get it at a pet we, store or have to order it
1: i have no idea i don't know <laughs> i don't know how he got it uh we had uh we had hamsters yeah uh we had guinea pigs we had a rabbit a pet rabbit uh we've had birds fish uh and dogs i think that's it
0: yeah um and I mean, my wife
1: didn't like any of them i don't i mean you, i my wife my wife's goal is to get rid of every living thing in her house and i'm, I'm including the last to go.
0: including you I, uh, I, I'm not big into all of the other things. I, I like dogs now and I didn't always love dogs, even though we always had a dog. Um, it, you know, I, I, but I, but I love dogs now. All right. We're going to get to some sports here, uh, in a moment. First, a quick word about hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, something that Tommy uh, practices on a daily basis. All of those things, I think. But not everyone's got the time to do it. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy, slumps and poor focus it doesn't have to be that way you want to kick that coffee habit but you're worried about your energy levels to avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump you need to make sure you're hydrated hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply you can save even more with a monthly subscription and for 25 percent off your first order go to drinkhydrant.com slash that's drinkhydrant.com slash s-h-e-e-h-a-n for 25 percent off your first order drink and hydrant is h-y-d-r-a-n-t.com That's drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan. All right, a couple of um, football things, uh, Tommy, to get to. Uh, First of all, I wanted to um, say that if you did not listen to Saturday's podcast, I had this guy Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus on. He was excellent. Uh, I went back and listened to that again. A lot of you sent me tweets saying how much you enjoyed that. I did too, um, not only in the moment, but after the fact. In fact, I, I played a lot of it back on the radio show this morning. The pro football focus story is really a very interesting story because, you know, foot analytics, you know, Tommy and I probably have a similar feeling about analytics. First of all, it's just a fancy word for advanced statistics. You know, more statistics than you used to have is basically it. But. You know, everybody is sports fans. You know that baseball is, you know, heavy on analytics and one of the reasons there's so much data and it's it's perceived to be valuable is almost everything on a baseball field in terms of the result is measurable whereas in a football game with 22 guys and not knowing players responsibilities and not knowing whether it was truly a good block or a bad block or good coverage or bad coverage it's just harder but they've gotten better and the conversation was a lot about that you know about the challenge of grading every single player on every single play, to come up with a grade for the game, and then a grade for the season, etc. Well, 32 teams have contracted with Pro Football Focus, 32, and over 70 college teams, and like three or four CFL teams as well. Um, Chris Collinsworth purchased uh, the majority stake in this company a few years back. Um, and uh, Sam was great. I, I would urge you to listen to that if you haven't already. Um, he talked about why NFL teams, you know, are using Pro Football Focus, all 32 of them, uh, paying for their premium service. And uh, I, I thought it was very interesting. Not to mention the fact that Sam is is Irish, like he's, you know, he just came to the states in 2017, but he's been a, a huge NFL fan, and obviously sort of a stats and probability guy for a long time as well. Um, So one of the things we didn't talk about on Thursday, because I think the news came out on Friday, Tommy, is that the NFL is going to vote um, later this week. The owners are going to vote on a few things. But one of the things that they're going to vote on is the 4th and 15 rule to um, be used in lieu of the onside kick. Do you like that have you have you read about it do you do you know how it works because I'll explain it to everybody but i want to i want i'm curious as to whether or not you have followed anything about this
1: i've followed it I'm not a big fan of it uh but uh i don't th- i don't get that riled up about change in in these sports particularly the nfl which which tinkers with its product almost every year
0: um I typically I'm a traditionalist when it comes down to this. It's funny you're like you don't mind change, but you don't really you don't like this rule, which is fine. Um, I um I love this idea, and we saw it play out a little bit in that AAFL and then the XFL as well. Um, and this was something that they tested in the uh, in the Pro Bowl. Not that any of you watched it, but the the reason that this rule is being considered isn't because the XFL or the AAF or whatever that uh, alliance of American football, I think that's what it was called. Um, It wasn't because they tried it. They they've been talking about this for about a year and a half now, in part because the rule changes, not in part, but primarily if not all due to the changes in the onside kick rule, you know, that, that came into play in 2018 where, Teams it couldn't change their formation. They couldn't overload the formation. They couldn't get a running start, and the uh, that has really impacted the percentage of successful onside kicks. You know, it was in single digits in 2018, and it was like 12.7 percent last year. It was eight of 63 were converted, and that is way lower than what the uh, the percentage of success was prior. To um, the rule changes. They were in the 21.2% range. Uh, So basically, one in five of every onside kick was recovered. And now it's really hard to recover an onside kick. And we've seen that. So if you're down two scores without any timeouts left, your chances of winning the game are next to nothing. Whereas at least there used to be a chance. You're saying there's a chance, there used to be a chance. Well, I like the 4th and 15. The 4th and 15 is almost equivalent to the old, in terms of the 4th and 15 data that's out there, it's almost equivalent. It's a little bit higher, but if you take out the 4th and 15s for late game situations where games are already over, it's almost equivalent to what the old conversion rate was for onside kicks prior to the new rules, which were, you know, safety driven. Um, it's a fourth and fifteen play, one play from your own twenty five yard line. You can only use it twice in the in a game. You can use it at any point in the game that you want, um, and it's it plays out. So fourth and fifteen, if you convert, you keep the ball and it's first and ten from wherever you've converted. You may throw a touchdown pass on that, and that'll count. Um, you can't score. You know you've never been able to score on an onside kick because you can't advance the onside kick. You can only recover it. Um, But on 4th and 15, if you get stopped, that team takes over from wherever you got stopped. So if you picked up 7 yards from the 25-yard line, it's the other team's first and ball 1st and 10 at your 32. If there's a penalty, the penalty comes into play, just like any other 4th and 15 play. I love this rule, and I hope they vote it into existence. Because I think the lack of any hope, if you're rooting for a team that's down 2 scores at the end without enough timeouts... um, is it, 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 there was always a chance. And in the last two seasons, there really hasn't been a chance at all, even though one of the great comebacks in the history of the game happened last year between, uh, I think, the Dolphins and the Bengals, um, where one of those two teams, it may have been the Dolphins, recovered like c- consecutive onside kicks. But uh, I like the rule. So why don't you like it?
1: No, it's, it's, I, I don't think that worked up about it one way or the other. Like, I, it's not a problem for me. I just didn't feel the need for it. I, I mean I didn't I didn't feel like there was a void uh that needed to be filled. But it it is intriguing. What 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 I wonder if now coaches will have uh will will build their rosters to include maybe one or two players or a couple of players who were just built for that fourth and fifteen moment. Or if those are the same skills that you would use throughout the whole game, I don't. I don't
0: think there is a a different skill set there. I mean, you're faced with third and fifteens, fourth. You know, third and fifteen, you're going to punt after, so you got to convert it. One of the reasons I think that, you know, it doesn't and hasn't necessarily impacted you watching these games is one, you're not a fan of a particular team. So you haven't been in that position of hoping that your team's down points or up points and you're worried about an onside kick or you want an onside kick, but it definitely means that you're not a gambler. Because I can yeah. tell, I can tell you that gamblers are very familiar with the percentage of onside kick conversions in the last two years uh, versus what they used to be. Because whether if you were winning the bet, you know you'd, you'd still have to worry about an onside kick, and in the last two years, you haven't had to worry about it really. It's like it's over. we we're, we're, they're not going to? No one can recover an onside kick. W- or if you were losing the bet, it's like we're done. It, we, we got no shot because they're, we need two scores and they're not going to get them. I think this is going to pass. I have a feeling this is going to pass and we're going to have this as an option for teams to use starting in 2020. I could be wrong, but it makes too much sense. And the league's not going to change the onside kick rules back to something that they deem to be unsafe you know um for the purposes of giving you know more uh, creating more excitement at the end for a team that's down two scores or needs an on, uh, an onside kick conversion that's not going to happen um but i i do think uh i do think that this has a a chance to to pass there's there's no other option on this i also hope that they reconsider, and I think they are, extending the overtime back to 15 minutes. 10 minutes is dumb. Um, One thing that Troy Vincent came out and said, and he actually said it with Brian and Scott on Brian Mitchell's show on 980 last week, Um, he acknowledged that this this ability to challenge pass interference, both called and not called, uh, both offensive and defensive, pass interference F- he said quote failed miserably um and it did you know when he took the blame for it uh, troy vincent's actually a really impressive guy i listened to that interview last week with with uh scott and brian um and he, he's an impressive guy. Played for the Redskins, obviously uh, for the Eagles forever. But had one of the more famous plays in Reds in recent Redskins memory that blocked field goal that he blocked that Sean Taylor picked up against the Cowboys and returned. And then there was a face mask, and Nick Novak came out and booted the the game winner with no time left. But Troy Vincent said took all the blame. He said this failed miserably. We saw a year ago when the pass interference rule, you know, played out that the outcomes were not good for pro football and they played out publicly. We didn't do enough due diligence. And the last thing that people should be talking about is the way the game is, is officiated. Well, they're never going to stop talking about that. But remember that that was added in last year because of just the grotesque reaction from Sean Payton and the Saints and the Saints fan base and people in Louisiana and in New Orleans who were threatening to sue everybody in the NFL over what happened in that NFC championship game against the Rams. Um, it failed miserably.
1: Grotesque. Wait a minute. Grotesque. They're like the villains here?
0: Yeah, they were they, they, they were they were insufferable oh, to listen to. Insufferable to listen please. to.
1: Absolutely. Oh, my God. What, what whiners. Call.
0: What whiners. And you
1: know, what you don't do is – this is this is so absurd. You have a perfectly good technologically sound system in play. The problem is how they executed it. You know, they, 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 they make replay too difficult. I know they're talking about – aren't they talking about having an eye in the sky, a judge?
0: That's what I was going to get uh, to, the sky judge.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean – this should be a simple process, I mean basically, when the guys on the field get you know, need to go up to the judge, that should be the final say, and it should take him a few minutes to be able to figure it a few seconds to yeah. be able to figure this out. so the process was wrong, not the technology
0: um the it's it's way too hard uh to allow. Um, coaches to... Well, there were a couple of problems with it. Number one, it's the most subjective call or certainly one of the most subjective calls in football. Pass interference when or not pass interference.
1: Um, except when it's not. Yeah,
0: but that's part of the problem is determining except when it's not. Um, and, you know, the, the, other, the other issue was just, you know, coaches trying to save some of those challenges and then having calls that were and should have been in the final two minutes not even looked at. Look, the game that Kirk Cousins won in the playoffs on the touchdown pass in overtime to Kyle Rudolph. That's a pretty egregious push off for pass interference. Now, it's not the Saints Rams situation where the guy was basically, you know, gang tackled, you know, tackled before before the the ball got there, but it was clearly pass interference and they barely even looked at it for for 3 seconds. Um I agree that it was not administered properly, but I thought it was going to be a hard administration process to begin with. This Sky Judge concept of having a a referee in the booth that they can go to or that he can ring down rather than going to New York or rather than relying on coaches to challenge to say, hey, this is a massive miss. And you've got to fix this one. This is obvious to everybody. I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but oh my God. God, the whining from New Orleans after that game. I mean, when you think about all of the games in NFL history that have names attached to them because of miscalls or bad calls that ended up almost enhancing the sport and, and the sports uh, uh, legacy, um, I, I I couldn't take it, man. I mean, you had people in New Orleans suing over a sports result. Give me a break.
1: If this was the, if that was the Redskins. You would have hunted those officials
0: down. I would not have. I would have been really pissed. And it just like the Jim Hart to, to Mel Gray thing, it would have forever been known as the Mel Gray catch. And I was, as a very young kid, I couldn't have been more angry than I was than in 1975 when they ruled Mel Gray's catch a catch after calling it a no catch in St. Louis. Um, but those things, those those calls and miscalls, are – part of the game, man. I mean, Houston probably feels that they they lost an AFC championship game at Three Rivers because of it. You know, the Vikings think they lost a, a playoff game uh, because of a Hail Mary push-off by Drew Pearson, and the list goes on and on and on. The tuck rule, all of them.
1: What a wonderful business where things that go wrong enhance it. Is there any other business that you can say that about?
0: Weather predicting. I think ridiculous. <laughs> weather, weather predicting. Um, I, I, I have, I have no problem with them trying to fix it in an easier way. And at the same time, I have a problem with all the whining. Uh, Both things can be true and they are with me. All right, guys, quick word about Hawthorne and that's Hawthorne with an E dot C O not dot com. I think one of the hardest things for guys to figure out is What kind of cologne to wear? What works for you? Most of you are probably wearing a cologne that your wife got for you many years ago or a girlfriend purchased for you, and you just keep getting the same thing over and over again, and it's sort of become your smell, even if it's not one uh, that necessarily should work for you. I think other difficult decisions are, you know, what kind of face lotion should you get for your type of face? What kind of shampoo should you be using? What kind of deodorant? What kind of body wash? What kind of bar soap? Soap, you know, should you be using? Um, all of those things are are difficult for a lot of guys to figure out. And that's why I want you to give Hawthorne.co a chance. Um, it's first of all, a great opportunity to find out what you should be using. They've got a very easy online quiz at hawthorne.co that you can take that will identify all of the right kind of products for you, which by the way, Hawthorne sells and could make it very easy for you for a great price. I'll get to that in a moment. But Hawthorne through this quiz is going to determine a lot about the kind of products that you should be purchasing. They're going to ask you questions about your skin type and your facial needs and what kind of hair you have and how often you shower and you know your Your preference, whether it's bar soap or body wash or both. You know, the kind of deodorant you're currently using. Are you using regular deodorant or an all-natural deodorant or an antiperspirant? Or maybe you don't even know. You know, how often you apply deodorant? How sweaty are you? How do you feel about sweating? All of these questions. What kind of fragrance that you think you might like? And and a lot of you may not even know, but even if you answer that you're clueless, they're gonna be able to put together a list. List of products that fit you and your preferences and your lifestyle. I want you to take this two minute quiz at hawthorn.co. That's hawthorne with an E.co. And that quiz will really tell you. For example, what the two best colognes for you are, Uh, and that'll give you an opportunity to purchase cologne for yourself, or maybe with Father's Day coming up, give your wife an idea of what to purchase through Hawthorne. It's totally risk-free, and by the way, all the products, if you end up ordering them, come with free shipping and free returns. Uh, by the way if you're getting a gift for your dad with Father's Day coming up you can take the quiz on his behalf. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's hawthorne with an e and .co not .com. Hawthorne.co use my promo code for this one it's kevin dc. It's k e v i n d c. If you use my promo code kevin dc you'll get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co Use my promo code, Kevin DC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorn.co. So, you know, I told you about something that I did on radio this morning that you weren't tremendously excited about. And, and that is, we could have taken calls on this for three hours if we had started it earlier. But basically the question is, what is the hottest personal sports take that you'll never back down from. And I think part of the reason that you didn't have an answer to this is the adjective hottest. What is the, what is the, the personal sports opinion you have that you'll never back down from? Is probably a better way to take it because your, your answer, a better way to sort of digest it because you said to me, I've
1: never had a hot sports take. That's well, not I what I, I do. I don't do hot takes. But you have strong I don't.
0: opinions. And not all yeah, of them fall but, but, in line with everybody else's.
1: Yeah, but they're usually based on reasonable data and reasonable evidence. That's they fine. Could turn out to be wrong.
0: That's, that's fine. Well, that's not a hot take. Uh, okay, you're right. It's not necessarily a hot take. It's the personal sports opinion you have that you that you just don't think you'll ever have to back down from. I mean, for you, it's Willis Reed's a top. Wh- what do you have him? Top ten player of all time. Top five center. Top five center of all time. No one else right, would have Willis Reed on the top five list of greatest centers, would they?
1: Willis would. No, he wouldn't. No, nobody
0: else would. Yeah, so there you go. That's yours. That wasn't so okay. hard, was it? No. Because, no, it wasn't so hard. Because Russell, Wilt, Kareem, Elijah Juan, and Shaq are easily you know, your top five. Wilt's nowhere near that that group. Um, I'd, probably have, I'd probably have Moses and Wal- Walton's a tough one, as we know, for obvious reasons. I'd have Moses before him. I'd have, if we're going to consider Duncan as a center, I'll clearly have Duncan before him before I ever get into the Willis-Reed conversation, I'd, I'd probably have artists, Wes Unseld and Artis Gilmore before Willis-Reed. Oh, well, you
1: wouldn't have Wes Unseld before Willis-Reed. Let me just say two, two numbers for you. 36 points,
0: 36 rebounds. <laughs> Lowest
1: Reed against Wes unselled in a playoff game in 1970.
0: That's unbelievable, that box score. Yeah. <laughs> that really is. That's an un- – uh, thir- I mean, only Wilt had that kind of, of, of box score ever, right?
1: And that's against Wes.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I, I think yeah. you, you mentioned that to me um, recently, and I think I gave you. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna go find it again. Um, that was the 1970 season when the Knicks won it all, right? Yeah. And they what did they beat the Bullets in the Eastern Conference Finals?
1: Yeah, they all that's they always had to go through the Bullets right to get to where they wanted to go. I mean, those those. Those playoffs between the Bullets and the Knicks were legendary.
0: Yeah, they actually beat the Bucks that year in the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat the Bullets in the first series. Okay. And was it, are you saying that that was game seven that he had 36 and 36?
1: I don't remember which game it was.
0: Um, he had
1: 36 and 36.
0: It wasn't game seven. It wasn't game six. Let me see if I can find it here. I do want here. It is thirty six points in Game Five in a two two series. Game Five, Willis Reed had thirty six points and thirty six rebounds in a basketball game. <laughs> that's honestly, that's honestly ridiculous. By the way, you want to hear this? How about this one? In the same game, Walt Frazier had sixteen points and sixteen rebounds. <laughs> Frazier had sixteen and sixteen.
1: Wow, what and, was Gus Johnson doing that day?
0: Uh Gus Johnson had seven points, ten rebounds, and wasn't in wow. foul trouble, it says. Um, but was one for fourteen from the floor. Uh let me th- let me just drive
1: the car off the road for a second, because somebody posted this in a graphic on, on social media and uh it's a stance out. Will Chamberlain in one game March eighteenth, nineteen sixty eight Fifty three points, thirty two rebounds, fourteen assists, (laughs) twenty-four blocks. What? Eleven steals. What? Twenty four blocks That's what this says. Fifty three points, thirty-two rebounds, fourteen assists, twenty four blocks, eleven steals.
0: Here it is, march eighteenth, nineteen sixty eight. Allegedly put up this stat. That's unbelievable. That would be the all-time game. I still don't know how those guys put up those numbers and how they were accounted for. But um, w-
1: well, 11, 11 steals. They they didn't make up. They, I don't even think they may have recorded that uh, for that game. But I don't think they kept steal statistics over the course of a season back then. I don't think it was it was a statistical measure.
0: I don't think block shots so, were either. Were
1: they? No, they weren't. But somehow somebody got the numbers
0: for this one. That's crazy. That is – that's nuts. Um, uh, All right, so I had a couple of them uh, in terms of, you know, sports opinions that I'll never back off of. Now, this one I don't think is – it's certainly not a hot take because I think a lot of people would agree with me. But I've always been surprised over the years at how many of the guys that played – on um, another team vehemently disagree. I, I think the 91 Redskins are clearly the greatest Redskins team of all time. I don't think it's close. I think they're much better than the 82 team that won the Super Bowl, better than the 87 team that won the Super Bowl, and better than the 83 team that may have been the best offensive team the Redskins ever had, but they lost that Super Bowl to the Raiders. And a lot of guys on that team over the years, whether it was Theisman or Rigo or Jake or, or Doc, you know, all the guys that we know and have known over the years, they all think that's the greatest team they ever played on, was the team that lost to the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Right. And it yeah. was... It was a phenomenal offensive football team. You know they set. That's the, the
1: year that that Theismann won the MVP, right?
0: Seisman won the MVP in '83. They were unstoppable yeah. offensively. I think they set the record for points in a season that particular year in the NFL. Um, the problem was that team, even though they had a ridiculous plus forty-three turnover margin, the best in NFL history. Um, Their defense was very good at creating turnovers and getting turnovers, but the defense, when it wasn't creating turnovers, was getting torched. And that's why their secondary had the nickname the Pearl Harbor Crew. Um, They had Daryl Green as a rookie, um, but they had – uh, you know Anthony Washington and Vernon Dean and Curtis Jordan. I mean, they they got torched. Green Bay put up 80 uh, 48 points against them in what was the highest scoring Monday night game in history until that Rams Chiefs game uh, from uh, a few years ago. Um, they got beat uh, in the Super Bowl. They gave up 38 in the Super Bowl. They gave up 37 to the uh 35 to the Raiders in another regular season game gave up 31 to the Cowboys um it wasn't a great defensive team the 91 team is a dominant defensive team dominant they shut out three of their first five opponents four of their first six didn't score more than seven in a game. They had, uh, uh, per Football Outsiders, whatever you want to think of it, that def- that DVOA, defensive value, uh, above um, adjusted, uh, above replacement number. They were number one on defense, number one on offense, and number one on special teams in 1991. I think it's the greatest Super Bowl team of all time. That's more of my, what I would call a hot take. Now, there have been... Um, You know, USA Today did a a thing years back on the best Super Bowl winners of all time, and they had the 91 Redskins. Football Outsiders had the Redskins as the number one uh, team of all time. You know, and there are other great teams. You know, the 78 Steelers were phenomenal. Um, The 85 Bears, the 84 49ers, those 2007 Patriots that didn't win the Super Bowl were great. Um... But no, the 91 Redskins, the the biggest, Tommy, argument against the 91 Redskins was this, that they didn't have a difficult NFC postseason gauntlet to go through. They beat the Falcons, they beat the Lions. You know, the run-and-shoot Falcons and the run-and-shoot Lions both at home before they absolutely demolished Buffalo in the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. A really good offensive team that they completely demolished you know that final score has never really been indicative of just how much the reds it was 37 24 was the final i think the redskins were up 37 to 10 in that game and 31 to 3 i mean that was a dominant beatdown in the super bowl
1: now i know you know we tend to think that the world uh began uh when espn started but i would put the uh Seventy Chiefs on that list. I would put the seventy-five Steelers on that list, and the sixty-eight Packers on that list as well.
0: I know you—you've really educated me on that seventy Chiefs team with all of those Hall of Famers on the defense. On defense,
1: which yeah. is amazing. Big Hall of Famers,
0: yeah, which is yeah. amazing. Uh, you wrote a column about that before the Chiefs in the Super Bowl this year, if I recall, right? And um, yeah. And that and with Len
1: Dawson at quarterback and Otis Taylor, yeah, uh, at wide receiver.
0: Yeah, the the in Hank Stram coaching it. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't remember that Chiefs team in terms of watching them, but I, I I can appreciate that team and how great it was, even though they were thirteen point underdogs in the Super Bowl against the NFL uh, Vikings. Um, that, that was the second, you know, that was back to back massive upsets with the Jets in Super Bowl three and then the Chiefs over the Vikings in Super Bowl four. Um, I think the 78 Steelers are better than the 75 Steelers. Um, I think generally people um, that the, the, in terms of the rankings have it there. I also think that the 70 um the 77 Cowboys are really really good the team that demolished everybody including Denver in the Super Bowl. The 85 Bears have to be on that list. Um have to be on that list. Uh and the 84 Niners were incredible as were the 89 Niners. Um the um Look, and
1: I'm not going to argue with you about the 91 Redskins. I mean, I think it's a perfectly legitimate position. Absolutely.
0: Um, but by the way, again, I think the '07 Patriots were well on their way to becoming the greatest team ever um, until you know until they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl, which just seemed impossible uh, in the moment. The other one that I had, I had um, I actually had two others. One is, and this isn't a, a hot take for DC sports fans. But Joe Jacoby's a Hall of Famer, period. End of conversation. People around the league don't know it like we know it. But it's a joke. You'll never get me to change my mind on Joe Jacoby being a Hall of Famer. And the th- this well, one... Well, listen. I I,
1: I I agree with you on that. Everybody's got ones about Hall of Fame. For me, in baseball, it's Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges. People still don't believe that Gil Hodges is not in the Hall of Fame. But he's not. And, I mean, I will debate you know till the cows come home that Gil Hodges, who uh you know should be in hall of fame as, as a player and manager
0: yeah i um.
1: all all of fame debates those are, i mean you're not going to you're always going to find of course. people that you're convinced should be in right. so kobe should be in yeah. yes.
0: but here's the here's the one that's probably um you know I don't know if it's in conflict with most opinion. I, I, I think that most people disagree with this. But I think Marvin Hagler beat Sugar Ray Leonard, and you're never going to get me to change my mind on that. I, I watched that fight you know, in 1987 at Coalfield House on closed-circuit TV. I've watched that fight, I don't know, 20 times since. Um, it was the fight that sent Hagler into retirement. And I, I was rooting for Ray Leonard I mean, I was a Sugar Ray Leonard fan, and I still to this day cannot believe that he won a split decision uh, in that fight. I thought Hagler was the better fighter. I thought he was the fighter that took, took it to Ray throughout, and Leonard seemed to steal like the last 10, 15 seconds of each round, which I think really ultimately influenced some of the judges. Um, just watching that fight, I, I remember when I was younger and I was a big boxing guy, I'd go round by round, I'd count them up, and I'd be like, come on, man, not even close. Hagler won that round, and this judge gave it to Leonard. Um, but I, I think Hagler uh, beat Leonard that night in, in Las Vegas. Well, I mean, that's
1: look, uh, the uh, writers who were ringside were divided pretty much. A lot of people thought Hagler won. Uh I I thought uh, my philosophy was this. I thought it was close and it shouldn't have been close. I am Marvin Hagler's fighting the guy who had who, who he's bigger than, who he hasn't fought who hasn't fought in over three years. You can't you can't make that a close fight. You've got to dominate that fight.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean yeah, but but it, it, it was Ray Leonard. I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, and I know he hadn't fought in a couple of years, but th- this was the match everybody wanted. It wasn't like, you know, I, I, you're, you're saying that what Hagler needed to make it more obvious that he was clearly the better fighter because he had fought more, yes. you know. Yeah. I think a lot of people had high hopes for Ray going into that fight.
1: Anyway. Tell me if this is a hot take, okay? okay. Yeah. Uh, hang on a second. Apparently, this morning—maybe it was this morning, maybe it was yesterday. Chris Sims ranked the came out with a ranking of the top his ranking of the top forty quarter of the forty quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. Blaine Haskins is thirty ninth.
0: <laughs> really, Chris yeah. Sims. The
1: only guy. The only guy uh, behind him is Tua. At 40.
0: So Burrow's ahead of him?
1: He's got got Mitch Trubisky ahead of him.
0: I want to pull this thing
1: up here. This is what Chris Sim said on Twitter. Uh, Really don't know how to sum up his rookie season. Some nice moments and throws that make you see why he's a number one pick. Others where you shake your head and realize how raw of a talent he still is big question about how the new staff will embrace him
0: um, uh, that's pretty accurate
1: the way he, what he just said
0: yeah, last year he had Robert Griffin the third ranked ahead of him, but he, he hadn't taken a snap yet how what's he ranking all how many backups does he rank i can't for no reason know. I can't find this list right now um well i mean i I,
1: I think I think he posted it on Twitter, I think he ranked them all separately. I don't know if, if uh, like, Sims' top 40 quarterback is where you would look on Twitter. Yeah,
0: I keep getting last year's. He did it last year, too. I keep getting last year's list. Um... So what do you think? Oh, it's because the list isn't completely out. He's doing it one at a time, sort of. And he's just right. going... Yeah, he's just gone uh, 40 to 39. Okay. 40's to a 39 is Haskins. Is that how it's happening here? I don't even know where Trubisky is. I I can't help you on this because I I can't find an an, an effing list here if the whole list has been put out. I mean, it's not an easy link from his Twitter account. Um, I see that the 39 – Oh, okay, so he's just gone 40, 39, 38, it looks like to me. So 40's to a yeah. 39's Dwayne, and 38's Mitch Trubisky. Sorry for that, everybody. But um, really don't know how to sum up his rookie season, which is what you just read. Uh, I, I don't – you know – I don't. I can. I can imagine who he's got. He's got. He's got thirty-eight guys in front of him, including Mitch yeah. Trubisky. Um, I mean, that means that there are a bunch of backup quarterbacks that are in front of Dwayne Haskins. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, wonder if
1: Kyle Allen's ahead of him.
0: Oh boy, that would now we now we got a subject for Thursday. I, um, I
1: bet he's not. I bet you Kyle Allen's not on the list. Although, he started more games than Haskins last year, didn't he?
0: Well, if two is behind him, that means Burrow's in front of him more likely than not. Yeah. You know, so a guy that's never taken an NFL snap's going to be in front of him. Trubisky, who has been replaced by Foles, it's Foles is going to be in front of him. If he had Griffin on the list last year, maybe he's got Griffin on the list again with Jackson this year. Um... You know, just going down the list, it means that a lot of quarterbacks. Well, he's got Daniel Jones ahead of him. That's gonna. That's obvious. Um,
1: Wouldn't you put Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins?
0: Based on last year, it's yeah. it's really close, but maybe by 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 a smidge, maybe. Um, he's got Kyler Murray. I he's got. Look, the bottom line is if he's ranking forty, he's got eight backups. <laughs> on that list. So, you know, help me with that. I guess we'll have to wait to see the list. I guess we will. 39 for Dwayne Haskins on a list of 40 is really a slight. I mean, it's almost as if he didn't see the last, you know, two, three games, you know, and he was judging based off the giant relief appearance or maybe, you know, the game he had against the Jets and I don't know. Daniel Jones was a fumbling turnover machine all year. I, I think Dwayne's got potential. You know, you know what I think of him. I, I, th- I know,
1: and so do I. I think he does too. You know, you know what, Simba, use this for fuel.
0: Yeah, use this for fuel.
1: Use this for fuel, Simba. Do you think he'll put it on his Twitter account?
0: I, I be- wouldn't be surprised if he already has. I I I, I don't follow him on Twitter, but I'm going to just. See if we can I can still find his account here. Let's see I, if he's, I mean this
1: came out pretty this has only been out for I think since this morning, so maybe uh, okay. he doesn't know about it yet. Yeah, he
0: doesn't know about it yet because he hasn't tweeted at all today, it doesn't look like. Okay. <laughs> um I it would not it, there's gonna be, you know, there's gonna be what was that hashtag, don't be a fan later. That's probably yes. that's probably what you'll get at some point today with some sort of you know a uh, quizzical looking emoji uh, an emoji with a quizzical uh, look on its on its face i think there's know, an I do not blame for that. him for being hmm.
1: i don't blame him for being upset about this it's it's pretty damning even if you think it's true it's pretty damning
0: oh, i mean you know use it as fuel that's awesome that's awesome i mean <laughs> i mean who does chris Sims even work for
1: uh, I think pro-, pro football talk. I think he
0: does as a pro football. I think talk. he
1: works with. I think he works with Mike Florio.
0: Oh boy. Uh, I actually have heard Sims before as an analyst, and maybe that's where I've heard it before. And I actually think that he's a decent analyst. I think that's what I think, but I'm not entirely sure.